Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. Second Kings chapter 4 is um, the passage we're going to be in today. Been in a series called Make Room, and it's been awesome what God's teaching us every week, a different angle on this whole idea of margin, this whole idea of creating space for God to speak to us. Uh, we've been in 21 days of prayer, making room in terms of what does my day look like? Am I making room for God to speak to me in my situation? Am I making room when it comes to just the faith that God, God's going to do an incredible work in my life? And, and so today, the topic that we're going to hit is how to make room for a miracle. And uh, this, this text in 2 Kings 4, we're going to begin with verse 8, is, is where we're headed. Just to tee it up for you, Elisha is a prophet of God, and he's the successor of a guy named Elijah. If you're new to the Bible, new to this space, Elijah um, God's hand is on this brother in a profound way, like God's spirit's on him in, in a crazy way. So he's the guy that calls fire from heaven in the Old Testament, resurrecting people, you know, pre-Jesus, and uh, also just like praise and it stops raining for like three and a half years. Crazy things uh, happening with Elijah. And so New Testament, he shows up too. Shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he has a holy huddle with Moses Jesus, who's the greatest of all prophets, and both Moses and Elijah, the culmination of that is in Christ, and so he's the greatest of all that. But Mount of Transfiguration, he gets to show up on the scene, so kind of a big deal. And then whenever he's getting ready to to head to heaven, he looks at Elisha, his successor, and says, hey, what do you want? Elisha has the audacity to look at that guy and be like, whatever's on you, I want double that. I want twice what's, what's on you, twice of God's Spirit. And so he gets this answered prayer, and there's a lot of parallels in Scripture between the ministry of Elijah and the ministry of Elisha. Crazy miracles happening, like, all the time, and one of which we're going to look at today in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says this, One day Elisha went to Shunem, Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. And so whenever he came by after that, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. I love it because he was invited to a meal. And then after that, there's this pattern, there's this consistency. Hey, you can come anytime you want to come. And she just sees God's hand on his life, and she decides to respond to that, make room for this man. And here's the, the first point is don't just let your opportunity pass by. Don't just let... Don't just let it pass by. The woman from Shunem says, I know that this is a prophet who's come our way. And your translation might say he, he constantly passed by. So King James Version, New King James Version says he constantly passed by. And it reminds me of other examples in the New Testament when God, when God passed by and people took advantage of the moment. They shot their shot, basically, is what happens in the New Testament. I'll give you some examples. Luke 18 is a story. It tells us of a blind man. He's known as Blind Bartimaeus, and he's called Blind Bartimaeus because he's blind. His name is Bartimaeus. It's unfortunate, but that's how we know him. And so he's sitting on the side of the road. He's begging 
Jesus, in, every time Jesus went somewhere, uh, post his call to ministry, as he began to heal and teach and do things that nobody had ever done before, he rolls deep. And so there's a crowd of people. He's got his entourage walking through the streets, noise. And then the blind man hears all this, and he says, what's going on? And someone tells him this in this passage in Luke 18, verse 37. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he begins to yell out. As he hears that Jesus is passing by, he says, son of David, have mercy on me. And they say, hey, you got like, to calm down, man. You're making too much noise. And he, he yells louder. Because if you're blind and you've been sitting in the same spot and mercy walks by and grace walks by and healing walks by and miracles, like, you just, you just yell. You don't care what anybody thinks. And so that's what he does in this moment. The Bible tells us Jesus stops. From where he was headed, he changes what he was going to do and where he was going because somebody cried out. And so uh, this person accessed more, Bartimaeus accessed more because he had the audacity to ask for it. What is it that makes God stop? What makes him stop? It's getting real with God. It's doing more than just going through the motions or playing church. It's crying out and asking God to move on our behalf. It's praying, seeking, worshiping, refusing to settle. And that's the thing that gets God's attention, not religious platitudes, not church attendance, not knowledge of certain things. But it's just a, it's coming to the end of yourself and saying, God, I need you. But you got to do it every day. So it's not just a moment of salvation, but it's also the way that God forms you into his image. It's just a, a humility that just says, man, God, I need you. And so this is what happens in this moment. He stops. And so here's another example in Scripture where Jesus is passing by. Luke 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So his plan was just to keep on walking, except he doesn't keep on walking because there's this guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a city official. Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And Zacchaeus, uh, as the song suggests, a wee little man. He is short in stature. And, and a wee little man was he. And so he climbs up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. So he's running and he jumps up in a tree, doesn't care what people think about him, doesn't care. Like, he cares more about getting close to Jesus in this moment than he does anybody else's appraisal about who he is. And so because of that, gets Jesus' attention. Because, again, it is his desperation in this moment that makes Jesus go, all right. And so he stops his plans. Instead of going through Jericho, he stops. And so... His desperation causes Jesus to stop dead in his tracks, and the faith of Zacchaeus is what makes Jesus stop. And then salvation comes to his house is what the Bible tells us because he was willing to, again, take advantage of that moment. Hey, I'm not just going to let my opportunity pass by, but I'm going to take advantage of this moment. I think about Mark 6 when there was a storm that was causing problems for the disciples out on the sea, and then Jesus is walking on water familiar passage of scripture, but there's this line in this passage of scripture that this wild Mark six, verse 48, he saw the disciples straining at the oars. There's a storm. They're out on this lake and I don't know. I mean, swimming, I don't know what swim lessons were like back in the day, but it's first century Palestine. So probably not great. You know what I mean? So like, they're like, we're all going to drown. We're all going to die. There's a storm and they're straining against the wind. And then Jesus just like casually walks out just real casual, like just walking out on what they're straining against, on, on what they're worrying about. It says this, the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. That line's wild. Because, listen, they're out in the middle of this water, 
And then Jesus decides he's going to walk on the water, but then he's just going to walk by. Like, what was it? What, he was just going to walk by him, just like, y'all good? Like, you know, and it's like, but, but the Bible tells us what he, he stopped. And the reason why he stopped is because they cried out. And so, man, there's this correlation between not letting this opportunity pass by. There's this correlation between crying out to God and whether it's Zacchaeus and whether it's blind Bartimaeus or whether it's these guys in the boat in Mark chapter 6, same thing is true that we see in this passage in 2 Kings 4. Uh, she, she takes advantage of this moment. Elisha is going from town to town every single day, Shunem's in between, and she sees the man of God just walking, and she decides, you're coming to dinner. I would love to have you for dinner, and then invites him in regularly. And so... Uh, the question for all of us is, you know, what do we get out of, out of prayer? What do we get out of spent time with God? What do we get out of church? And we get exactly what we have the faith for. Expectation is the breeding, is the breeding ground for the miraculous. So do you make room for God to move in powerful ways in your life? Because you could be in a room like this and nothing happened, and then the person next to you, like, crazy breakthroughs happen because their expectation is greater, their faith is greater. Same thing when it comes to prayer. Same thing when it comes to reading God's word. You could just do it because you're like, okay, well, I got this is how much I got to read today. So and I'm just trying to grind through this, you know, one year Bible instead of like actually have God speak to you and transform you. And so when you sense God passing by, do you call out? Do you invite him in? This is salvation. Do you realize that you have the opportunity to respond, to surrender, to call out to God, to shoot your shot? It's a moment. And you know when it happens because this is what salvation looks like is when you finally realize who you are in relationship to who Jesus is. And it's a moment where you go, I got a choice to make. I could put my full weight on it, and I could go all in, and I can trust him with everything, my future, my eternity, my family, the things I can't control, the things I really want to control but I can't control, my resources, my provision, my health, my everything that I try and control. I can put my full weight on it and make him Lord of my life, surrender my life to him, or I can just let it pass by same thing for sanctification god the holy spirit will speak to you hey don't go there hey don't say that hey don't smoke that hey don't go you know like don't spend time with them don't go out like whatever and you can you can you can take that moment and you could again you could put your trust where it belongs or you just let it let it pass by and so what's so great about this passage is she doesn't let she doesn't let god pass her by and some people on the outside of church struggle to understand a church that really prays, a church that really worships, a church that really celebrates, and this passion about life change. But if they, knew, if they knew who you were now compared to who you were maybe 10 years ago, they would understand. If they knew the things that God's brought you out of, they would understand. If they knew who I was and the things that I struggled with years ago, they would understand. If they knew, if they knew um, where God's brought restoration, if they knew where God's brought healing and redemption, if they knew what freedom really felt like, they would understand the type of noise that you make and the type of celebration and the type of worship and praise. If anybody's grateful for who Jesus is and what he's done, come on, can we just have five seconds of just praise break? Yeah. That's what it sounds like. And so the woman in Schumann, she realized, man, it's not enough to be around it, to just have Elisha kind of come in every once in a while. Man, I just want more. I want more. Second Kings 4, 10 and 11, she tells her husband, hey, you know what? I like this. Let's get a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. And then he can stay whenever he comes. So instead of just dinner occasionally, 
Let that brother just move in here. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he laid down there. And so here's the takeaway as we pray and we, we're waiting on our miracle. We can't, we can't make God move in our lives, but we can make room for him to move. So God's timing is God's timing. And it's perfect. And there's nothing you and I can do to like will it another way. But man, one of the things that we can do is get in position so that when he is ready to move, you're ready to receive what he has for you. Um, I love a good football metaphor. We're headed into the, a new season as a church. It's my favorite season, the best season of our lives, and that's football season. And so uh, for all my football people out there, this will, this will hit. And for the rest of us, I'll, I'll uh, simplify a little bit. But so football, you got a quarterback, has the ball. You have running backs in the backfield. He'll hand off the football to the running backs. But also you have receivers. And depending on the offensive scheme, you have a different number of receivers. And then you have on the defense, you have something called a DB or a defensive back who's up against the receivers. And the receiver's job, the only job of a receiver is to run their route and to create margin. To just get open. To just make room. To just make space between them and the defender so they can receive. Like, and so this is the same thing for us spiritually is, hey, God wants to do incredible things in your life. Some of us lack margin so that when he's ready, you're not ready. And so, so for example, pra- real practical, because we're headed back into school, and I know, like, I got high schoolers in the room. I know we got college students in the room. College students, you're going back into school. You have a job. While you're, while you're getting hustle, okay, you're doing an amazing job, 12 hours, 15 hours, whatever you got going on. Plus, you're working a job. Let's say you make $1,000 a month. Killing it. You're like, where is that job at? But, but you're killing it, okay? So it's like you're killing it. $12,000 on the year, $1,000 a month. Let's say, uh, let's say you spend 900 of that 1000 on whatever college students spend money on, okay? And then you have, what, what's your margin? What do you have left? What's your room at the end of the month? 100 bucks, okay? So let's say you spend 1100 of your 1000 What's your margin? Negative 100 okay? So that's the, I mean, which is where most people live, honestly. And so... Uh, but let's say after, after the course of 10 months, you've been making $1,000, you spend $900 a month. What do you make at the end of 10 months? What's your margin? Some of you are like, what? This is, okay, $1,000 is the answer, okay? So it's like, so, but the idea is like, get, like really practically creating margin for God to move in our lives. Because when you have margin, you can throw your hand up in the air and you can yell, God, speak to me. God, send me. And margin is not just financial margin. It can be calendar. So God can, God can speak to you, and, and you have the margin so that you can address what needs to be addressed. You can spend time. You can break bread with that person. You can pray for that person. You can minister this individual. I will never forget, years ago, I was driving on Interstate 77 southbound, and I was in a hurry trying to get to where I was supposed to go, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. and said, There was somebody on the side of the road, and God was like, hey, I need you to pull over. And I was like, I'm in a hurry. I can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm talking to God. I'm negotiating. What's so crazy is I was headed to a baptism service. True story. And I'm like, no, I got to go to this baptism service. Like, God, can't. anyway, so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm negotiating. And he's like, pull over. And I didn't pull over. And I, and I always want, I still wonder, what did I miss? Because I didn't make room for what God wanted to do in that moment. So it's not just a money thing. It's a time thing. And so um, we got to make room. And so the, it's, it's like, Holy Spirit, would you help me to see people the way that you see people? 
not to be in too big of a hurry, but to help me to make room for more of God as I make room for others. And it's not like the Shunammite woman obligated God to do anything by just opening up her home and literally making room for Elisha. But it put her in proximity to experience the power of God. And so it's like, am I, am, I, am I intentional with my time, my talent, my relationships, my treasure? Every area of my life, do I create margin and room for God to work in those spaces? Second Kings 4, verse 8, it goes on. It says this. One day when Elisha went to the town of Shuman, a wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. And so I love it because she started with just making herself available. And an act of generosity invited him to come and eat a meal. And then after the first meal, whenever he would come to town, she was ready to host. So there's this consistency to her faithfulness. And she's intentional and consistent with her generosity. And most people that you and I know want to be generous, want to create room, want to have margin. We just steward poorly what God put in our hand. And so when he's ready to bless us or when he's ready to meet with us, when he's ready to do something, we just don't have the margin to do it. A lot of people lack margin. And so what if we were to make room for God to move uh, in every area of our life? So what do you need to cut? What fat do you need to trim? Right? And take real inventory of your life. Calendar. What does your calendar look like? We just got off of 21 days of prayer. Was 21 days, like, what, what does prayer life look like? What does time spent with God look like? Not for the sake of doing it or checking a box, but, like, actually spending time. So that he can read your mail and just help, help develop you into who it is that he wants you to become. What about your margin financially? Um, what does that look like? Do you, maybe, you, maybe you cut one of your five streaming services. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't drink, maybe you don't drink that $6 coffee, even though it's pumpkin spice latte season. And some of y'all are looking at me like, bro, don't mess with me. My pumpkin spice latte. Maybe, you don't, maybe, maybe we don't need to eat out four times a week. Maybe, maybe I don't need a $700 a month car payment because I actually can't afford it. I'm just trying to, like, project an image <laughs> instead of actually being able to, to afford my car payment. I'm just saying, if that hits you, that's the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I don't know. I don't, like, I'm just saying. <clears throat> and so I need to prioritize my budget based on my value so that I have margin to be a blessing for people. I'm not even talking about tithing because that's first. I'm talking about margin. Is there any margin? What does it look like for me? In 2 Kings 4, we started with, this is what she started with. Hey, let's just have him over for dinner. And then it was like, can you imagine what dinner with Elisha is like? Oh, man, that's good dinner company. You know what I'm saying? That's a good move. That's a great hack. Invite the prophet to come to dinner. So she was like, I need more of this. So much so that she was like, we are building an addition on our house for this brother. And so it's wild, man. I, I can't express how important it's going to be for me and you in this fall to get around the table with the right people in this next season. Some of, the, some of the breakthrough that some of you are praying for is on the other side of just breaking bread with someone, on the other side of spending time with people, on the other side of sharing stories of what God's doing in your life, on the other side of just being really vulnerable about what you're praying for, hoping for, what hasn't happened yet. The, the time in my life where I've experienced the most breakthrough has been just in just one-on-one relationships, just what God's done through people in my life and family and friends and people that had a shared worldview, had a shared vision and a passion, had a shared faith in Jesus, and we just got together. And all of a sudden, my faith is stirred in ways that it wasn't. So I would imagine sitting around eating with Elisha is probably pretty good for your soul. And so apparently it was. So Elisha asks her, 
He's like, man, you made this room for me. This is crazy. What do you need? What do you want? And the Bible tells us that she was well to do, that she was well taken care of, that she had no need. Except the Bible also tells us she didn't have a kid. So the one area that she was poor, the one area she couldn't do anything about, Elisha says, hey, this time next year you're going to have a kid. And she says, don't play with me. That's what she says. Read your Bible. She's like, don't mess with me. And she's like, my husband is old. Like, you know, she's like, she's like don't mess with me. And then this is what happens. Uh, God blesses this woman with a child. And then the child grows up, is out working with dad, hanging out with dad, and then, and then ends up, uh, he ends up passing away. Here's what the passage says in 2 Kings 4, 18 through 21. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters, and suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. And his father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. So the, the promise that God had for her, she, she was kind of resolved to not believe for it, not want it, not desire it. Elisha's like, no, you're going to have a kid. God gives her the kid and then takes the kid, sitting on her lap, passes away. And then she carried him up. Listen to this, though. Laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door and left him there. And I read, I've, I've read this passage before, but I never read it this way. I love it because she, um, she didn't take him to his bed which was like, would have been what I would have done. She didn't, take it to her, she didn't take him to her bed. She took him to the place that she made room, and she laid him on the bed of the prophet, and she closed the door. She didn't plan a memorial service. She didn't create a space to mourn, not, and not that she wasn't broken in that moment, but she didn't formally mourn. She didn't say, well, you know, that's it. We're done. She made room again and said, God, you gave me the child, and I've heard stories of what you can do, and I'm believing for a miracle. Bible says that she pursues Elisha, and so she goes to visit the prophet, and she's not taking no for an answer, so she goes up to this guy. He's like the exec- executive assistant of the, the prophet Elisha, whatever that looks like, and so she's like, I'm here to see Elisha. He's like, no, nah, he's busy, and she's like, no, nah, uh, you don't hear me. I'm here to see Elisha, and so anyway, he meets with her, and she's like, I need you to come home because the son that you promised me, and again, don't play with me, is dead. And, and, and like I'm believing on faith that God can bring about a miracle. And so she marches all the way to Elisha. She refuses to take, to take, to take no for an answer. There's a whole other message in that. And says, I need you to come with me, and I'm believing God is going to do a work through you. And then he does. Elisha shows up. The Bible tells us he heals the boy. Boy sneezes seven times. I love random things like that in Scripture. Just read it when you get time. But then here's what happens as the boy is resurrected. Here's what her posture is. Verse 37, she fell at his feet, at Elisha's feet, bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. And then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. And I love that her first posture is to worship God in this moment, to be grateful for God, to be so moved by this moment. She's like, and her son's right there. He's sneezing, you know, like she's like, she's like so present. She's just right here worshiping God. And then she takes her son and she goes downstairs. And so um, I love it because what started off as, hey, I'm just going to make room for the things of God. 
begin, you know what? I'm going to regularly make room for the things of God. You know what? I'm going to build a room. I want him to dwell. I want him to stay in such a way that he just has, God's doing an incredible work on my life that will give me over to a faith that will allow for me to believe that he can resurrect my son. But it didn't start there. It started with, I'm just going to make room. Just invite him over for dinner and see what happens. And so the question for all of us is like, what have we stopped? What have you stopped believing for? What have you stopped having faith for? Bible tells us you can't do anything without faith. You can't experience salvation without faith. According to John 3, 16, according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it tells us that it's by grace, but it's through what? Faith that you're saved. Man, everyone who's ever done anything in the name of God, in the name of Jesus in Scripture, Hebrews tells us, man, it's faith that did every bit of that work. It's faith that compelled them to move in every bit of the, the you can't pray without faith, according to Matthew 21, 22. You can't experience the fullness that God has for you, the abundant life that he's promised you as a follower of Jesus apart from faith. Faith is connected to the confidence of who God is. And what everyone thinks is absolutely insane or stupid in one season is counted as faith in another season. So like, you know, neighbors and cousins of this Shunammite woman, like if they were hanging out at the house and then she puts her dead son in the room and they're just like, uh, you probably want to like, you know, so like people just think she's insane has she has lost her mind. But then like we, we have the, we have the, we're the beneficiaries of context. So we like read scripture and we go, oh, that's great faith. But like in the moment that looks insane. That looks crazy. And so this is what God's teaching us. Uh, what everybody thinks in one is insane in one part of your story. What sounds offensive or even stupid in one season is counted as faith in another. Her son is dead. But she knows she serves a God who brings dead things back to life because Elisha has told her the stories. She knows all about it. And so, man, there's many miracles for me, for you. For some of you, it's in your marriage. For some of you, it's in your finances. For some of you, it's in your health. For some of you, it's in some relationship. You kind of wrote somebody off. You thought, man, I would never have forgiveness for that, for that offense or for what they did. And it's like, nope. God's got you. Like, I'm just telling you, there's things, that, there's things that he can do in and through us that only he can get credit for. And so, so many miracles on the other side of us making margin. Just a small step of, you know what? Let's make room for somebody to come to dinner. Let's make room to create more space for God to have a God encounter. Let's be consistent. Hey, you know what? Let's just invite God in to just stay in our time, our prayer life, reading his word, our finances, stewarding resources, tithing, sowing, investing in others, worshiping with what he's given and making room. God says, I've cleared. Listen, it's just the posture of God. I've cleared my schedule for you and everything that you've handed me. I'm just going to operate with an open hand. I'm just a steward. I'm not an owner. So it doesn't matter whether it's my time or my relationships or my calendar or my resources or my treasure or whatever. And so that's what we're learning in this passage of Scripture, that, hey, don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. Because some of you maybe had a moment before where you felt like God was speaking to you and was like, go all in. And you just kind of been teetering. I had a conversation with somebody last service that just, they, they vulnerably just said that. They were like, I know God's telling me to, but like fear is what's keeping me from doing that. That's what they just said. And I'm like, yeah, just go all in. I know it's scary, but, but don't miss your moment. Like, he, he'll pass by, 
And whether it's the moment where you actually come to faith in him or whether it's the moment like some of you um, where you've just been struggling with a specific thing for a long time, but nobody knows what you're struggling with, but you're afraid to just deal with it. But freedom is on the other side of that. And purpose is on the other side of freedom. And joy is attached to your purpose. And so, so just, I mean, being willing to just take your shot, shoot your shot, don't miss your moment. And then make, make room for God in your life. Um, making room for him to move. And then what, what that'll do is that'll begin to grow your faith for the things that God's doing.